Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Moving him down the order, it might, like Tom said, it might get him to relax and just just go play. Hey, how about this guy how play center that? field maybe, huh? This guy was an excellent yeah. baseball player, A.J. Brown. Nice swing. I watched his video. Really good swing. Great arm. Uh, in fact, his velocity from the outfield is like 88, 89 miles an hour, which is pretty darn good. A.J. Brown, newest member of the Eagles, at least via trade. Others were drafted, obviously. Throwing out the first pitch. I think he should be a mound guy. I, I was going to say. Front of the mound yeah, guy. Right. Right? Right. He's too good of an arm, too good of an athlete. I wanted to see the real thing. I mean, that's like, you know, that's like kitty toss there. You get to stand out in front of the mound. Come on. And you could see he could throw it. You could see his arms real there. That was no problem at all. So, it's not. Yeah. It is. He, he's got some pace on that. But, Mike, you'd be a guy that'd be on the mound, right? you got a nice, smooth stroke. you throw the ball nice. I'd get on the mound. I don't know where the ball would go. The only safe place in the building would be on the mound once I threw it. I think I could do it. I Look, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. I think I could get on the mound and do it. I, I played a little too. baseball in my day. Right. Not very well, but well enough to throw the ball from point A to point B if it's only, what is it, 60 feet? Is that what it is? Like 60 feet, 6 inches, something it's somewhere some weirdly in there. specific I, thing yeah. like that. I think I could pull that off, you could pull especially th- because I would practice it a couple of times. I it's It wouldn't be something where it's like, oh, my God, I have to throw a ball. Like, I, I think You'd I could be prepared do it. Famous for it last words. Yeah. Famous yeah. last words. I got you. I got you. I haven't you. had a baseball I haven't had a baseball glove on in a long time. When we went to the beach last year, I went looking for mine and I couldn't find it for the first time oh, ever. Come on, like man. throw some throw the horse hide down on the beach and make some of the other beachgoers mad because this this rock hard projectiles flying around. I, I, I couldn't find it. 
Oh, you got to find it. You got it. You I've had it. it since 1987. Back when you were six years old, that's how long I've had that thing. Well, that's what's awesome about baseball gloves. You just, you know, you just throw them in a the closet, and whenever you need them, you grab it and, yeah, okay, dust it off, and let's let's throw some, you know, let's throw some balls around, and it's, it is great. I love baseball from that aspect. I, I'm a little in that. It's baseball season, right? So I am getting outside, having a catch with my son and doing stuff like that. There's something peaceful about it, uh, something that, you know, it, it, it definitely offers you, you know, just a good bonding moment while you're sitting there throwing some balls. One of the great memories of childhood, and it's both enjoyable but also inherently frustrating, the whole concept of how to properly break in a baseball yeah, game. Yeah, right. And – I remember thinking, not quite this way, but I was dismayed along the lines of, hey, we can put a man on the moon, but you can't make a baseball glove that's ready to go. <laughs> like, what is this? That you've got to do all these special things and incantations and rub it in, in, in wax and, and put, put rubber bands around it. Yeah. Tighten it up. Right. And I actually, the, the, the glove that I have, and now I'm even more determined to find the mf and thing after this show because it's got to be here somewhere it's not something that we could just get thrown yeah, away like right. who's gonna throw it's away been thrown in another closet glove? right 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 <laughs> right yeah but I, I was working at a refinery in california when i bought that glove it's a mizuno remember mizuno's mizuno even still around do they still make Mizuno I, here? I, I think no they idea. do i think they do i want to say Pete's yes looking into it. it's definitely not so, as popular as it was there was a machine in the lab I was working in at the time, and Mizuno still exists. My purchase back in 1987 helped keep the company afloat. But there was a lab I was working in, and there was a machine, and without getting too specific, because frankly I can't remember the specifics, it was capable of applying an incredible amount of force straight down. So I broke that glove in by putting it in that machine. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> probably, get, probably get fired again 35 years <laughs> later when they find out. And applying a ridiculous amount of force, and it broke the glove in. So that was it. Didn't have to. Didn't do have to do crap. any of the right. yeah. usual crazy yeah, stuff. Right. And you can't use it for two weeks. I was able to use it that night. I broke that bastard in. That might have been a record. Seconds. Yeah, record. Twenty thousand pounds of force. <laughs> so that broke that. That broke that thing in. All right. Uh, oh wait, one more thing. One more I gotta thing. find that. I have to find that glove. I, find I think it. I am tempted to just get up and walk away now and go look for that damn glove. Find Thanks, it. Thanks, AJ on. Brown. Come Thanks on there, for lefty. nothing. But look what I found yesterday. Oh, I got another story. Go ahead. Uh, uh, wait a minute. I sent it like three weeks ago. You sent you it like a week mail? ago. I you sent it like a week ago. It stood. It stood in the barn in the box for a while. In the last two days, my wife's been like. You gotta, you gotta text Mike. You gotta bring it in. You haven't recognized that you got the book yet. So I got the book with one of your snarky autographs inside. But thank you very much. I appreciate it. If the Sims household runs out of toilet paper, we're we're gonna be okay here. Now we're good. <laughs> as, as as I have said to many others who have made that <laughs> remark, because it's yeah. clearly not the first time I've heard it. I, I go open the. Open the book and feel the page and yeah. ask yourself. Yeah, do you it might give really me a few want, issues. Might give you a few issues. Do you really? <laughs> do you really want to use that? Because it's not exactly Charmin. No, it's I exactly can tell you not. that. You're right. You're right. You might um, get. You might get the last uh, word on that one. <laughs> hey, I, I got. I got one more baseball glove story for you, and this one's kind of sad. Uh, <laughs> when I was growing up, I, I'm left-handed. My baseball glove was for a righty. 
uh, somebody bought me a baseball glove when I was like five and they didn't know I was left-handed. And my parents never rectified the situation. So, so uh, <laughs> when it was time to, and I wasn't on a team yet or anything. This was pre-ever being on a team. By the time I was on a team, you got I got right. the right glove. Good. But when I would go play, it would be glove on the business hand out in the field Get the ball, throw off the glove. Oh my gosh, that's what you did! (laughs) Pathetic. It was pathetic, and it probably explains a lot of the deep-seated issues that manifest themselves from time to time in my overall attitude toward everything. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. They weren't my. I could have really been not just a baseball player, but somebody who liked baseball as opposed to somebody who has no regard for it. Maybe that's why I don't like baseball. Maybe it's not about Game 7 of the 1992 NLCS when Sid Bream somehow scored from second on a routine single. What the hell was Barry Bonds doing getting that ball to the plate? Maybe that's not what caused me to shut down. Maybe that was just waiting to activate. That was the trigger from years of anti-baseball sentiment because somebody bought me the wrong glove when I was five. Yeah, maybe. Got you off on the wrong foot there, certainly. You're like, damn, this isn't that fun. I don't know. Catching it with this one and trying to throw it with the same hand doesn't seem that cool. What's all this talk about baseball being fun? (laughs) It's funny. I I remember thinking of that every time I would see Jim Abbott. Remember the pitcher yeah, had sure. one hand? Yeah. He would do that. Right. He would, and he had a system. He had a much better system than I had. He definitely for did. For getting the glove off and throwing the ball. Yeah. So, right. Uh, Threw a no-hitter, I believe, mine, for the Yankees. Mine, in, mine involved throwing the glove on the ground. Not to, I, sh- I never thought to, like, quickly tuck it somewhere. And No, it was the ball got thrown on the ground. Uh, or the glove got thrown on the ground. And the ball got thrown on the ground instead of where it was supposed to get thrown. Another issue entirely. All right, let's get to it. As it relates to throwing footballs, that's kind of where we start today because there is currently a starting quarterback in Tennessee who understands that he, he may not be the starting quarterback all that much longer. We'll get to that. I want to begin, though, with Ryan Tannehill meeting with the media and talking about the aftermath of that three-interception performance against the Bengals in the playoffs. And this is important because, look, this is the kind of vulnerability that I think helps people who are going through dark places in their own lives to recognize, number one, it's not abnormal, and number two, it's fine, if not useful, if not advisable, to to talk to somebody to help yourself process through right. those bad times. Here's Tannehill talking about what he did to get through the aftermath of his three-interception performance against the Bengals in the divisional round of the playoffs. It's a scar. It's a deep scar. You know, it was a, a lot of sleepless nights. Um, every time I closed my eyes, I was I was uh, re-watching the game in my head. Um, didn't get a whole lot of sleep for, for weeks and weeks after the game. Um, was in a dark place and it took me a while and a lot of work to, to get out of it. You know, it wasn't something that, that went away easily. Man, it's still a scar that, that I'll carry with me, you know, throughout the rest of my life, you know. But just like a, a, a cut on your arm, you know, starts off as a wound. Um, you're able to, uh, to heal from it and uh, it turns into a scar. It never leaves you, but it's always there and it can remind you. And now it's, it's fuel for me. It's fuel for me to... Uh, to work and, and get ready with uh, with a passion and come into the season with, with a fire and, um, you know, a desire to win like I've never had before. It took a lot of work to get through it. You know, it wasn't, wasn't a day, it wasn't a week. It was weeks and weeks and weeks to, uh, to, to get through it. Uh, you know, a lot of sessions and, 
you know, at this point, I can look back at it, recognize it for what it was, and learn from it, and uh, and move on. Has therapy been something you've done before, Ryan, or was that new after this? No, I've I've you know been doing that um, for a little while now, um, but definitely, you know, I think uh, this is the first time that it probably. I absolutely needed it to pull me out of a, a dark space. You know, I'm impressed by his willingness to talk about that so openly. He wasn't doing it with the intent. Right. Express to help other people. But that's the kind of thing that helps other people because yeah. there's still a reluctance, men and women, a reluctance to take time out of your normal routine, show that you need, I don't need help. I'm fine. I'm fine. This is fine. Everything is fine. Right. I'll be fine. Sometimes you won't be fine, and sometimes you do need to talk to somebody. When he was talking about the aftermath of that playoff loss, Chris, I was reminded of what you said years ago now, how that loss to Washington in the playoffs 2005 season, that that has still never gone away for you. No, it doesn't. You know, I, I think you know we've heard a lot of great players and coaches over the years talk about, right, the losses sting more. Bill Parcells, right? I mean, it's part of the reason he retired. He just can't get over the losses, and he's not enjoying the wins, right? You've quoted that a lot of times. It, it'll drive you crazy. You know, I think the first thing is quarterbacks as a whole, you know, they're, they're usually pretty analytical people. They're quarterbacks because of that. You know, they analyze themselves, the situation. They're perfectionists. You know, we talked about earlier this week how, you know, a lot of the great quarterbacks are insecure. Yeah, I mean, not, you know, I wasn't great or anything like that either, but insecurities did wake me up in the morning and got me going. Oh, damn, I got to get going if I want to play in the NFL. Oh, man, this guy's out there playing. I got to be better than him. All those things. So you put your life and soul into it, and then you get into that situation like that where you go, wait, we got a really good team, and I've been playing good football and all of a sudden the door just slams and hits you in the face, and you go, oh, my gosh, we lost the game because of me. And I played the worst game of his career. You know, there's the other aspect of it, too. It's not only is it a big game, and, yes, I lost I lost the game for the football team, and, then, and I'm sure that's how Ryan Tannehill felt. But I think the other aspect for, for him personally is, you know, think about it, Mike. I was trying to think about this again on the, on the ride in this morning. Like, he's never had a really a moment like that in his career. He's been pretty consistent. Not that he's played in a ton of big games, but he certainly hasn't had games where we went, man, he's a disaster. He lost them that game. That was one of the first for him to have to deal with that as well. And, of course, it was the big stage. So it is cool to see him talk about this. And these are some of the – these guys are humans, and these are the struggles that the guys who really love the game and live it and really bring it home with them, like my father did. And I know so many great players in the NFL do now – it, these things eat away at players for weeks at a time, and it's cool that he's kind of opening up the, the the closet door there to let everybody know the feelings and the struggles he went through. Well, and it's one of the realities of the postseason. You have a great regular season. The Titans emerge from the AFC with the number one seed, and you get your week off. Congratulations. While you're sitting home not playing, the Bengals are winning a playoff game. And yeah. Acquiring right. gets rubbed in your face confidence. More. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're yeah. ready right. to show up right. and take you out. And that's one of the dangers of being the one seed. You can get caught flat footed. You can have a bad day and your entire season crashes down in that one moment. The Titans have been on the other side of that against the right. Ravens a couple of years ago. There's a lot of pressure to being the number one seed in that first game. If you don't come out and establish a lead and hold it early, 
you you find yourself, I think, psychologically, yeah, feeling that entirety right. of everything you've accomplished, everything you've worked for. It's all what the hell is going on? That feeling of what the hell is going on? And the Titans had that all day, even though it was a close game. They had that all day. Yes. And those three interceptions. Without those, good chance they win. And the team did a good job of propping him up, and it's not all on him, and it's other guys responding. Look, some of the play calls weren't ideal that resulted in the interceptions, but it's just a good reminder that there are things in life that we need help getting through, and it's okay. If Ryan Tannehill, who, you know, from the outside perspective, hey, this guy's got it made. He's made millions. He's been playing in the NFL for 10 years. He's he's made millions, and he's really not all that good. People would say he's better than then I think he gets credit for yes, right. But Agreed. the fact that he'd show that that willingness and talk about he's not required to talk about it. No, not at all. He's not required to say anything about it. He wasn't required to do that press conference. And the good news for Titans fans is he's there now with the team for the offseason program. He had been gone for phase one. Uh but but you know, he didn't he didn't have to to show that side of himself and and open himself up to what you know who was it? Wasn't it – didn't Dak Prescott speak openly about needing help yeah, after sure. his brother died and, yeah. like, that idiot Skip Bayless, I don't want him being the leader of my yeah, team right. if he's – Yeah, like, right. Get the yeah, – We're a little loose around here. Yeah. Get the hell out of here with that nonsense. I mean, get out of here with that. It's a point, I think, that we should admire, not scorn, when someone – peels back the layer a little bit and shows that there's a human being inside. So I, I applaud Ryan Tannehill for yeah. talking about it openly, and hopefully it will. I, know, I don't need to hope. I know it will inspire people who need help. Anybody who's hearing this, listening to this, watching this, use that as an example. Let this be the day that you resolve that you're going to make the phone call, that you're going to do the Google search, you're going to do whatever you have to do to find somebody who can help you process something that – that is bothering you, and it's okay if something's bothering you. It's not okay if you continue to internalize it and let it cause other problems in your life. Yeah, exactly right. It's good. Yeah, you gave everybody a little playbook of, hey, I went through a struggle, mental tough spot here. I was in a dark place. I had to do something about it. I, I, I really, I applaud him for saying it. One, like, because of what you're talking about, it gives everybody confidence. You know, so many men in the world are like, I'm a man, and I can't go seek help. I'll figure it out. I'm a man. I'm just going to be quiet. And it just, of course, you keep it quiet and it boils over. And all of a sudden you're, why am I a jerk? What, what am I mad at? You know, I mean, there's just too many issues that can go there. But one, it, it's a great, you know, example setter there just by, by doing what he's doing there. He's showing, you know, I think the Tennessee fans, hey, I care. I think that's going to go over well with that. The, the fan base are going to go, damn, this you chose right there. He's He's emotionally invested. And, you know, it, it shows that players care in general. They don't go home and just go, oh, I'm a professional athlete. I don't care and I, that we lost the game. So what? No, heartbreak. That is heartbreak. Heartbreak, not only because you feel like you failed for yourself, your family, you, you feel it for the rest of your team. That's the worst thing about it. You're in the locker room going, man, everybody's going home kind of because of me. And... We and, and that's just that is not easy to live with. And then think about this. You get it rubbed in your face all week. 
Oh, wait, I turned on. Let me see how the AFC championship, what are they talking about? Oh, they're showing my interceptions. Well, great, great. Oh, now I'm turning on AFC championship Sunday. This is great. Let's watch. Oh, they're showing the highlights from the game last week. Hey, hey I screwed it up again. Oh, I got to watch this game now. Oh, got to watch the Chiefs, the team we kicked butt. We killed them during the regular season. I can't play there. Man, we should have beat the Bengals. And now the Bengals are in the Super Bowl, and he's sitting there going, well, damn. I mean, we lost to this team, and we kicked their butt the whole game, and we lost. So it, it, I'm sure it took him five or six weeks to really get over it and not have, a, like, a pit in his stomach. Uh, that would be my experience with it. And, of course, I haven't played as much football as he or some of the other great quarterbacks. I wouldn't have watched another game. It's hard. I, right. I, I would not have turned on the TV. Right. I would not have had any interest in why, especially AFC playoff games, maybe NFC, yeah, yeah. but I wouldn't have watched any of the remaining AFC playoff games. And I definitely wouldn't have watched the Super Bowl featuring the team that, that outscored us, but didn't beat us, yeah, only right. beat us because right. I beat us. I would not have watched that Super Bowl game if I was Ryan Tannehill. And, uh, um, I don't know whether he did or didn't, but I would have had no interest in watching any of it. But he's processed the issues. He's ready to go, and that's good news for the Titans. Bad news for the Titans. They don't have A.J. Brown any longer. Ryan Tannehill had an opportunity to address the trade from six days ago that shocked everyone when Brown was sent to the Eagles during the first round of the draft. Here's Tannehill on the loss of his top receiver. Helen Hurt, um, you know, obviously – Professionally, it hurt, you know, top target, you know, heck of a football player, made big plays for, for us consistently over the last three years. Personally, it hurt, you know, AJ's a good friend, have a lot of um, great times, great memories on and off the field with him. Um, just not being able to see him, see him on a daily basis is it's going to be different. It's going to be hard. Honestly, I, I thought they were going to get it done. You know, I thought it was, you know, Everyone trying to play their leverage. It's part of the game, you know. Uh, it, you know, everyone's trying to get the best deal. The team's trying to do the best thing for for the team, and the player's trying to do the best thing for the player. And um, just in my heart, I thought we were gonna have AJ here for a long time. And um, unfortunately, it, it didn't work out. You know, we had to do what what had to be done, but um, it doesn't take the sting away. You know, I think I was shocked. I, I. Uh, when I first found out, I'm like, you know, this isn't real. This, is, this isn't happening. It's a rumor. And then talked to AJ, found out it was real, and, um, you know, slept terrible that night and, you know, kept thinking, like, it's just a bad dream. But that's where we're at. And this is a guy that Ryan Tannehill has been much better when he has AJ Brown than when he does not. Look at those differences in passing yards per game, completion percentage. Touchdown to interception ratio, and most importantly, record 11 and 2 with 1 and 3 without. Wow, that is huge. Yeah. That is a dramatic difference for a guy that really going into this offseason, the average fan wouldn't have said, Oh, A.J. Brown's one of the best receivers in the league. Oh, A.J. Brown's going to turn the market upside down. Oh, A.J. Brown, Titans better take care of him or he's going to get traded. I think numbers like those, Chris, should put people on notice that number one, A.J. Brown is a pretty damn good player. Number two, this experiment. If the Titans have decided to perform, it could go like Peter Brady's volcano, baby. This idea of bringing in Traylon Burks and saying playing—it's like going—it's like showing up at showing up at a, at a at a show playing the role tonight of AJ Brown as Traylon Burks. <laughs> a lot of pressure on Traylon Burks, a lot of pressure on everybody else, 
and uh, uh, unfortunate for the Titans. Well, maybe fortunate. Who knows? Great test case. Can you move on from great receiver, backfill with great rookie, and hope that it works out just fine. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it is. It's the it's the ultimate, you know, right now experiment that everybody's excited to see in the NFL. Hey, I mean, th- you know, losing AJ Brown. I mean, of course, that's not going to make the playoff loss last year any better either for Ryan Tannehill. Uh, that's the other thing I think about. Like, yeah, that that's that's what you take home with you. Damn, this might be the last time I get to play with this guy. Uh, I'm sure that hurts Tannehill to not have AJ Brown. I mean, AJ Brown's a guy we talk about all the time. Yeah, the stats speak for themselves. You see. I mean, again, he's a guy you could throw a five-yard out route and he breaks a tackle and runs up the sideline 80 yards for a touchdown. There's just not a lot of people in football that can do that. So that's where he's special, you know. And, and you know, I, those stats, of course, are impressive. I would bet you some of those, too, he missed some games last year, also without Derrick Henry, right? So it was like a double whammy last year without A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry to make those stats look even more worse for, for Ryan Tannehill. But game changer Mike and you know it's the guys we talk about all the time the route runners all the catches all that's good but to me it's these guys it's you know how you talk about we talk about Jamar Chase and Debo Samuel they're they're just on a different level in the fact of they can do whatever plus and that's where they're to me are special oh wait he's double covered downfield oh whatever we'll throw it up he'll catch it oh He's running a slant route over the middle. He catches it and breaks somebody's tackle and breaks somebody's ankles and takes off. I mean, that that to me is where he goes above and beyond and separates himself from a lot of other receivers in the game. Yeah, this is going to be a major challenge for a Titans team that now has a much different vibe to it. They really have does. been this this beacon of stability and just kind of quietly going about their business, building their team overlooked, disregarded. Hey, they're the number one seed in a, in a sea of highly competitive franchises in the AFC. They emerge as the surprise number one seed. And now it just feels like it's all kind of topsy turvy with AJ Brown traded Julio Jones long gone. And that never worked out. And then they do the thing that, puts Ryan Tannehill's future into question, not short-term future, but long-term future, the move to get Malik Willis with a third-round pick after he fell out of round one and round two and fell behind Desmond Ritter and became the third quarterback drafted. This is where, Chris, we circle back to the conversation we had on Monday. Because remember, on Monday we were talking about how, and I said, you know, I I don't like to watch and listen to other people talking about football. I don't want to have their ideas creep into my head. I don't want to be accused of stealing their thoughts. And I really don't want to use this as a platform to point out all the stupid things other people say. And I say my share of stupid things, but I don't want to hear other people's stupid things and feel compelled to say, man, that was freaking stupid. And I remember hearing someone going, oh, after Malik Willis was drafted, oh, Ryan Tannehill will be a great mentor. He'll be, this is a perfect spot for Malik Willis. Uh, Ryan Tannehill, the, it'll be a great quarterback room, and Tannehill will really help bring him along. And I remember thinking, why the hell is he going why? Why? This is the guy that's eventually going to take his job. Wait a minute. This is still competitive within the confines of being on a team. Hey, let me help, let me help you get so good so quickly, I lose my job. No, thanks. I'm not doing that. Here's Ryan Tannehill from yesterday talking about his desire or imperative to assist in the development of Malik Willis. Yeah, I wasn't wasn't informed of that beforehand, but uh, same thing with AJ, right? The team's going to do the best thing that, that they that they think is is best interest of the team, and um, 
you know, I have no problems with Malik, and it, you know, we're looking to add talent and and um, guys that can help us. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll add him to the room and, and go from there. Ultimately, probably his goal is to take your job. I mean, that's part of uh, being in a quarterback room in the same room. You know, we're we're competing against each other. We're uh, you know watching the same tape. We're we're doing the same drills. Um, I don't think it's my job to mentor him, but. Um, you know, if he learns learns from me along the way, then um, then that's a great thing. It's not my job to mentor him, and it's not his job to mentor him. It's not. This isn't high school. This isn't college. There's not going to be a natural progression, a handing of the baton. That's not how it works. Right. This is a competition within the confines of being on a team that competes together against others. Malik Willis wants his job. Malik Willis is coming to take his job. The Titans took that guy, not with the idea that he's going to be a backup for four years, and hey, maybe in year four we can flip him for a draft pick like the Patriots did with Jimmy Garoppolo. The idea is Malik Willis is going to come and try to take the job. Now, if it lights a fire under Ryan Tannehill, the way that the presence of Jimmy Garoppolo lit a fire under Tom Brady, great, let's go win a couple Super Bowls because Tom Brady's pissed off that there's somebody who's pushing him. But, yeah, I don't see any reason for Ryan Tannehill to – to make it any easier for Malik Willis to do what he's trying to do, which is to make Ryan Tannehill expendable in Tennessee, Chris. No, exactly right. It's not his job. He said it right. You said it right. It's not. He's not going to be a jerk to the guy or anything like that. He's, you know, secure of what, who, who he is. Malik Willis asks him a question. I'm sure he'll answer. But, yes, for a guy like Malik Willis, as it was for me, as a third-round pick behind Brad Johnson, like, I – I wasn't going to, first off, bombard Brad Johnson with questions. I was like, he's a starting quarterback. He's got issues to deal with as it is. He's got Gruden in his ear all the time. I'll just sit back and watch him and learn. And the other thing, too, is young quarterback like Malik Willis, you know, hey, Ryan Tannehill help out. But more than anything, the Titans are going to have the quarterback coach and somebody there basically in his ear babysitting him the whole time. You don't need the the starting quarterback to be there to help them through these things. They're going to convey the messages they want to convey the way they see it through the coaching staff, right? Ryan Tannehill, he might have been taught something in Miami where he goes, I, in this play, I kind of – they teach it like this here, but I taught it – I learned it in Miami this way, and I might do it a little different. And they might be like, no, oh, Malik, he's got his own way. He kind of looks at this play. So, hey, they're gonna, they'll find their process. Malik Willis, we, we've talked about, he's got a lot of talent, he's raw, but to what you said too, Ryan Tannehill's got talent, and he's been a lot better than people want to give him credit for. That's for sure too. So he's not going to go down easy or go down without a fight, and this is still his team, but you know, you see how this year goes. He's been put on notice with this draft pick, that's, that's for sure. He's been put on notice that, hey, you, you're going to have to probably play well. And it's also going to depend on what Malik Willis does in the preseason and how his development looks and all of that stuff. But he knows he's, he's got something at least breathing down his neck there as far as his job is concerned. And could it be as simple as the Titans got to that pick, number 86? Yeah. Malik Willis is the top guy on the board. There's no grand plan here. There's no conspiracy. Right. There's no... There's no hidden meaning to it that this is a shot across the bow for Ryan Tannehill. This was just the best player, and we're in the business of drafting the best player, and he was the best player. Yes. Is it that simple, possibly? I don't know. And maybe that's how they explain it to Ryan Tannehill. Hey, Ryan, don't sweat this. 
We went out and got the best possible guy. That's our job on draft day. He was our number one guy by far. We need a backup quarterback. We're going to let him develop. We're not bringing him in here with an idea that you're not our guy. You're our guy. We want you to be here. And it's a good problem to have if you have two quarterbacks who can play. And it'll work itself out one way or the other. I I think that's very real. I do. I mean, John Robinson, again, I I know a little bit about his process. He's very true to his board. And, and, you know, how he's evaluated and the staff around him is evaluated. And, and they discussed a lot that this might be a draft or they look like, right, they talked about this. Even when we were at the Combine, we were talking about this, that they might look to draft a quarterback for the future, somebody to develop. And then the ultimate one fell in their lap. I mean, to me, he's the perfect third-round pick this way and the fact that he is, yes, he's raw. He's got some things that he has to work on in the pocket, like you've heard me say a million times, that are not easily fixed. It's not one where you just go, well, that's easily fixed. I have no problem. He'll definitely be good at it in good in a year or two. Oh, it's going to be a little bit of a process there. So, you know, maybe that rawness also helps Tannehill, you know, buy a little time here as well and, and prove his worth. But I think it's a smart pick by the Tennessee Titans for all the reasons you stated, let alone it might be one of those where you strike gold because you go, wait, this guy is raw. But there's a few things he does that are really impressive and special to where we could set our franchise up here for like the next 10, 12 years here. Tannehill for two more years and then Malik Willis. So you'd make that pick all day long and good for John Robinson in doing it. And here's the bottom line. Even though it feels like Ryan Tannehill has been around forever, he was drafted the same year as Russell Wilson. He's still got football left in him with the Titans or with someone else. So go out and keep playing well. And if it doesn't work out in Tennessee, if they do decide to do to you what they did to A.J. Brown when you tried to renegotiate your contract, and instead of drafting your replacement, they say, hey, we already got him ready. Malik Willis, good to go. See ya. See ya, Ryan. You want more money than we're willing to pay you? Fine. You go somewhere else, and you continue your career somewhere else. That's the way the business works. But as long as you are playing at a high level, those options will be there. And I think that's the way for Ryan Tannehill to react to this. Internalize it. Motivate yourself. But you're not required to spoon-feed anything. This isn't part of the job. You must help your potential replacement get better. There is a structure and an apparatus there to get that guy better. You need to take care of yourself. He needs to take care of himself. And that's the way that it should go. But this idea, and I guess the whole reason we're talking about it is there are people who are paid to cover the NFL who just think that they they are, you know, they're they're Batman and Robin. That's not how it works. They're not Batman and Robin. Right. It's not it's Batman and Superman. And both are trying to take over Metropolis and or Gotham City. And, uh, you know, let them go about their business and see who emerges as the top person. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you, you're right. That That's what it is. I mean, no, no question about it. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Ryan Tannehill, he's, uh, I feel bad for him with the way the year ended last year and everybody piled on him. Uh, that was cool what he did yesterday. He's got some competition in front of him. He's going to have to play some football to erase the memories and some good football to erase the memories from, from uh you know, the divisional playoff game, make fans feel good about him again. Uh, but, yeah, this is a guy, you know, to your point, NFL media too and everybody involved in watching the draft. I mean, this was every time a quarterback was going to be taken, Malik Willis, Malik Willis, Malik Willis. He's the sixth pick. He's the eighth pick. He's this pick. He's that pick. Malik Willis, Malik Willis. And that's where, to me, just on the outside looking in, it, it's where it's a little scarier than your normal third-round quarterback pick here. 
You know, there's a there's a a, a love affair of Malik Willis in, in a lot of ways, I think, with the NFL media and, and some of his following, that there's going to be extra pressure on Tannehill as compared to maybe another team with some other third-round quarterback in, in years past or whatever. In some cases, I would say it's good for a quarterback not to be taken in round one because then you can develop more – slowly and with less pressure and it's more inconspicuous Malik Willis carries the shine of a first round pick into round three and and he's different from another third round pick in that way there is an expectation they may as well have taken him in round one there's the same vibe in Nashville that there would have been if he was a first round pick because the idea the moment that name is called yes exactly here's Ryan Tannehill's future replacement Yes, that that's where it's it is a little different, and that's where I you know he like put on notice, gonna have to play good ball, whatever. Because yes, he plays bad stretch of games or you know a few bumps in the road. This is the type of guy and, and talent that I think you know. Of course, the fans are gonna they're gonna clamor for it. You're gonna hear you're gonna hear something about it. Uh, so yeah, that's that's you you said it right. That's where it's a little different. They're looking at it in Tennessee, going, we got a first round quarterback that just fell to us in the third round. And there's a difference there than, oh, wait, this is just some guy that's been sold to me as a third-round quarterback for the last seven weeks in the draft process on TV and all that. There's a difference there, and I do think that adds a little more pressure to the situation for everybody involved in the Titans organization. Interesting observation made yesterday on Twitter by Hall of Fame quarterback Kurt Warner, who was undrafted in 1994, made his way through all sorts of levels of football, not the NFL, including the Iowa Barnstormers of the old Arena Football League, NFL Europe at a time when, I don't know what it was called, worldly, it's gone by like five different names. But but uh, uh, you might call it an American underdog story, as Pete is reminding me. But Kurt Warner tweeted something that I think is is interesting, and it it requires a little discussion here. Said Kurt, I will never understand the I'm not here to mentor the next guy mentality. So for all you young quarterbacks that need a mentor, DM me and I'll be that guy. Happy to help in any way I can. First of all, the, the premise is whether or not I'm here to mentor the next guy. See, I think Ryan Tannehill is not required to submit to the notion that Malik Willis is the next guy. That's the point. Like, you know, when Aaron Rodgers has to go fill up his glass with five fingers of tequila after they draft Jordan Love two years ago, I mean, wait a minute, he's the next guy? No, I'm still here for four more years. He isn't the next guy. You're not. You're drafting a guy on a four-year contract. I intend to still be here when that four years has come and gone. So I reject the premise of Kurt's tweet. Because from Ryan Tannehill's perspective, he should look at this and say, well, he's not the next guy. This isn't a situation where I'm late in my career and I know that I'm going to be gone and they're bringing in the guy that I understand I am going to help get ready to take over for me. I don't think Ryan Tannehill's required to sign on to that. No, I mean, it is a little different that way. You're right. This is not old aging quarterback. You said it right a few minutes ago. It's a guy that's still like... At the prime of his career, I mean, at the tail end of the prime, right? I mean, maybe we're starting the plateau or down, downward slope or whatever there in the you know mid thirties, low thirties, however old Ryan Tannehill is. But I think that's the difference. You're right, Kurt Warner. Oh, I'm the Giants' quarterback 
oh, wait, the number one pick in the draft or whatever, the number four pick in the trade, whatever the hell, however the hell that worked out. He's here. I mean, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. And same with, oh, I'm on the Arizona Cardinals and they get Matt Liner. Now, you know, again, Kurt's, Kurt's a, a special guy and that he's very nice that way. So he's different. But I don't think all quarterbacks are going to, you know, share that same sentiment with him that way. And I don't know. Maybe he mentored them too damn good. Maybe he would have won a Super Bowl with the Giants if he didn't mentor Eli so well. Who knows? Uh, I'd like to know how well he did mentor them. But, you know, again, that's not everybody's the same. And I think it is a little bit of a different scenario here. You you laid it out exactly perfect. It's different than what Kurt Warner was doing with the Cardinals and the Giants as compared to this Ryan Tannehill, you know, still playing really good football and just had a hiccup in, in one game. And it was obvious when Eli Manning was drafted in 2004 by the Chargers and then traded to the Giants that Eli Manning was going to become the starting quarterback inevitably. Right. And the Giants, I think, were five and four with Kurt Warner when he got benched for Eli Manning. And I I think if I recall correctly, I may have to redo my research on this and refresh my recollection. I think I remember Kurt was pissed. I think he was a little bit. I, I think like he was pissed a little too. bit. Right, right. I think he was pissed a little bit every, that he well, got benched he's got for the guy that he be. was supposed to be mentoring. Yeah. Hey, great job mentoring Eli. He's ready to go. Kurt, sit your ass on the bench. Wait, what? <laughs> that's what I was. That's what I was joking about. Maybe he mentored him too good, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. I know. Great I job. Great right. job, Kurt. Right. Well, he has take a every seat right on the be... bench and now take a hike after the season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's got every right to be pissed though. Too, you know, yeah, he, he five and four. I, I get that too. It doesn't mean he can't be pissed and still mentor the guy too. Um, but yeah, I don't think everybody's going to share those, you know, same things. Like I, I don't... can't reconcile the two. I hey, come on, I'm going to teach you, Jimmy. I'm going to teach you how to be the best quarterback you can be. Whoa, slow down there, Jimmy. <laughs> slow, slow down. Well, I like, didn't mean I didn't mean to make you that good. Well, speaking of Jimmy's, like exactly, like what, like how uh, do you think Brady was giving Jimmy Garoppolo every clue to the that goes through his brain? I, I doubt it. I think there's I no think way. Brady's kid was putting shaving cream in, in Jimmy's <laughs> shoes. If he was a good son, he would have. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I expect that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, I'm uh, done. I got nothing else to say. What do you got? Pete, else? Pete has found something from 2004. I have right. as well. I found some comments from Kurt Warner when he got benched. He said, because it came on a Monday yeah. after a Giants game, he said, my play yesterday I don't think had anything to do with that, the decision to bench, uh, to bench Kurt Warner for Eli Manning. Read into that as much as you want, Kurt said, but there is a bigger picture here. There's more things that are trying to be accomplished here, and that's why the decision was made. Yeah, they brought Eli Manning in to become the starting quarterback. They brought him in to be the guy. It was just a matter of time before he became the guy, and they decided then to be the guy. And By the way, Kurt Warner did have 12 fumbles in nine games. He was on pace to set a record, so maybe he should thank the Giants for benching him when they did to keep him from setting a record for fumbles in a given season. Yeah, well, it was a different – again, this is where it's a totally different scenario too. Now, I know everyone's thinking Kurt Warner Hall of Famer, but this is a time in the career when – the Rams went. This is the donut hole. This, is, this was the donut hole a for a few years. Kurt right. Warner got. 
Hey, look, revisionist history or whatever you want to call it. Yes. Kurt Warner got into the NFL with a big-ass donut hole in the middle of his career where he was not Kurt Warner. Exactly right. He had right. the greatest show on turf on the front end, right. and he had the rebirth in Arizona on the back end, but he had three, four, five years where he was not a Hall of Famer. No, he did not play good for the Rams. They decided to have Mark Bolger over him. The Giants, as you see there, with you know five and four, but it wasn't necessarily like he was killing it that way either. You're right. So there was that's where it's a different scenario too. That was Kurt Warner at a time where he was kind of trying to just survive in the NFL to a degree, almost. And that's Ryan Tannehill's not at that point, and that's what makes this a little different. But nonetheless, I think what we're talking about here is Malik Willis brings a little bit of a first round pressure to the situation. Uh, even though he's a third rounder because of all the things we stated. And that's why I think we'll, you know, have our eye on this situation a little more closely maybe than some others. To make a comparison that folks may understand who've been following the game in more recent years, this is the equivalent, I would say, of Joe Flacco at some point in the past few years all of a sudden becoming a great quarterback again. That's, That's basically what happened with Kurt Warner. Went from great quarterback, Super Bowl MVP, to fizzled out. And the only difference between Flacco and Warner is Warner found his groove again in Arizona, and Flacco's still been kind of searching for it. And I think at this point the ship has sailed. But that's the difference. There was an extended stretch where benched, not effective – because it wasn't, it wasn't like he was benched for unfair reasons. It's a meritocracy. He wasn't playing well. He got yeah, benched. Right. He was run out of St. Louis. He didn't last in New York, and and he finally got it together again in Arizona. When remember when was it? Ken Wisenhunt in two thousand seven started with the two quarterback system where yeah. Matt Leinart would start right. when they'd fall behind by seven or ten points. Kurt Warner would come in, yes, right. save the bacon, right. and then they'd put Matt Leinart back in. And Leinart was pissed about it. Well, hey, p- play better, buddy, and and they won't put in Kurt Warner. And it lasted until Leinart like, broke his collarbone or something, and then it was just Kurt Warner. And boom, next year they're in the Super Bowl. One year after that, Warner retires, and Hall of Famer. Yeah. He, if he doesn't have that 2008 season, he may not be in the Hall of Fame. That's a fair question. I do think that's a fair question. There's no doubt about that. You know, it, it, there's it's certainly debatable. I think that way. But that last, you know, Super Bowl appearance and the fact that he got the three Super Bowls and won an NFL MVP and a Super Bowl MVP, I think, puts him over the edge there in the voters' minds. But yeah, you're right. That that last hurrah probably probably sealed the deal. I think if we would start looking at the list of all-time passing yardage, touchdowns, completions, I, I have a feeling. I have a feeling that. Kurt is farther down the list than people realize. Uh, and there are people much higher on the list still playing now who have already surpassed him significantly because at the end of the day, yeah. case in point, Cam Newton has more passing yards than Kurt Warner, according to Pete. 45th all-time in passing yards is Kurt Warner. And Kirk Cousins, not Kurt, but Kirk Cousins has more passing yards in his career than Kurt Warner. So, uh, so Phil Simms. Phil oh. Feather in the cap. One day after we commemorated the anniversary of the drafting of Phil Simms, we got our best argument for Phil Simms to get in the Hall of Fame. Phil Simms, more passing yards than Kurt Warner. Here we go. Yeah. Well, and I don't say, I'm not saying that sarcastically. Phil should be in. I, listen, I'm biased. You can't ask me. Of course, I think he should be. But, you know, it, it, it'll be. 
he got hurt for that second Super Bowl. That always hurts his case a little bit. And then, you know, kind of what we're talking about here. The the league is so different now, you know, that the stats are crazy. You know, I mean, you're going to get done and it's going to be like, you know, is 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 uh is Tom Brady two times better than, you know, Fran Tarkenton and some of these other guys that are going to, you know, 40,000 yards. It's just it's a different league. So the stats are going to make some of the older quarterbacks not look the same. I know, but Kurt. Well, but Kurt yeah. Warner played in this era. Phil Simms, you're right. Yeah. But for Phil Simms to have more passing yardage in his career, well, in his era versus Kurt Warner in his era, that just and this isn't this isn't. I'm not trying to bash Kurt Warner here. I didn't intend for this to happen. I'm just saying, folks. Look, we're. we're I mean, if we're if we're gonna reflect on Kurt Warner's career, I it, it he really. I really do think if you remove. Super Bowl forty three from the equation, he's not in. It's a, it's Maybe he discussion. gets in later, but he doesn't have a bronze bust with a flat top haircut in Canton, Ohio, right now. I don't yeah. think it happens. Yeah, yeah. I, oh, by I, the way, I if Ryan Tannehill to bring it all back to where we started, if Ryan Tannehill passes for two thousand yards this year, he will pass Kurt Warner on the all time passing yardage list. One more thing to get to is we, we we've kind of evolved into. The first segment of the show, we just talk as long as we feel like yeah, until we, we run out of gas, and then we jam six segments into whatever we have left of a show. In Cleveland, they've got some quarterback uncertainty. You've got Deshaun Watson, who the hell knows when he's going to be suspended or for how long. You've got Baker Mayfield, doesn't want to be there. They don't want him, but they can't trade him for now. They're holding on to him. you got Jacoby Brissett, who's in a position to play short-term basis if and when Watson is suspended. Here's Kevin Stefanski, head coach of the Browns from 92-3, the fan in Cleveland, on not knowing who his week one starting quarterback is going to be. Yeah, I just think it's kind of the, the, the nature of it. Uh, we, we really we don't know, um, and that's okay. So we're going to work through that as more information becomes available. Uh, but ultimately, we're getting three new quarterbacks ready with, with Deshaun in there, Jacoby in there, and Josh Dobbs. We've got three new guys Calm plays in the huddle. There are three uh, cadences, you know, so the guy's hearing those voices. So uh, that, that room, there's a lot of learning going on. There's a ton of teaching going on. Uh, and then as more information comes available, we can determine how we rotate guys in, in training camp and, and those type of things. But until we have that information, we're, we're really just in a holding pattern. Yeah, it's, it's an awkward situation for the Cleveland Browns. Say the least. And – we said this on Monday with Baker. If there's a, if there's any chance that Sean Watson is gone for the whole year, and the Trevor Bauer suspension by Major League Baseball for two years, different facts, but same general concept: off-field allegations, sexual misconduct. Trevor Bauer gets a two-year suspension. NFL may feel compelled to suspend Deshaun Watson for a full year. If I'm the Browns, I just want to know. Please, please let me know so I can make decisions accordingly as to who my quarterbacks are going to be on the roster and on the field. And Chris, let me, let me tell you something. I had a question yesterday and I initially dismissed it as apples and oranges because it is, but you know what? For the casual football fan, it's not. DeAndre Hopkins got suspended six games for a PED violation. So the question that was put to me by a reader, how in the hell can they only suspend Deshaun Watson six games? Well, it's apples and oranges. 
It's 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 che- it's a negotiated policy where one strike equals a six game suspension. So there's no discretion to be exercised. There's no assessment, no investigation. No, you you test positive, you're you're out six games. That's it. There's no there's no ambiguity about it. With Deshaun Watson, it's a different story. And you know the baseline suspension for off field misconduct of this type is six games, and it goes up, it goes down. But 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 you know there's a certain amount of appeal. To the argument that DeAndre Hopkins gets six games for accidentally taking some sort of a supplement that was tainted with a banned substance, and Deshaun Watson only gets six games or gets four games. Or get, yeah. To a lot of people, they're going to look at that and say, this doesn't seem right. Definitely that not. If, if, De- if DeAndre Hopkins gets six, yeah, Deshaun Watson should be out for a full year. Uh, agreed. And the optics are already weird around this situation. Hey, get in trouble. 22 civil lawsuits. Here's the greatest contract ever in the history of football. I mean, that's that's how it looks right now. Hey, don't act appropriate and you'll get rewarded richly. Like, so I, I, that that's not great, you know, to that common fan you're talking about who loosely watches NFL and pays attention to it that way. That's what they look at right now. And then, yes, I mean, I think you're going to have – those dots connected as well. I mean, they're old teammates for one, but yeah, it's just it's two star players. People are going to be gauging this against everything. This is a unprecedented situation. The more I sit here and think about it, the more I go, man, was this some gamble by Cleveland? And what the hell did they do to themselves? What did they do? I I just this is as we go more and more. I just go. It's one of the more poorly thought out plans in the history of football. I mean, really. Um. Screw over starting quarterback. Don't even tell him what we're going to do. Try to flirt with other quarterback. Be out of it. Then realize, oh, crap, we screwed over our other quarterback. We didn't even think he would be mad. What? Okay, what? Blah. What are you paying attention to? Everybody knew <laughs> Baker Mayfield would be mad. Everybody. Like, come on. All right? So it's almost as crazy as, like, you didn't think Aaron Rodgers would be mad at Jordan Love being drafted. That happens. Oh, wait, he's pissed off. He doesn't want to play for us. Oh, now we're desperate. Let's give a guy we don't even know what his future is, the greatest contract ever. It's, it's insane. And, like, if he gets suspended for another year, I, the, the contract's totally insane because you're not going to be getting a $46 million a year type of player quarterback who hasn't played football in two years that way. So that's where it's just – Tremendous pressure on the situation. And then add it, Mike, I can't help myself here. Who? I, what are they doing with Baker Mayfield? What the hell are they doing? Like, what are they going to do? Well, I don't understand it. You're not going to let him play. I mean, Baker Mayfield, if he comes back there in Cleveland, what were they, like, maybe going to flirt with that? I, I mean, I hope not. It doesn't seem that way. Well, if they know Deshaun Watson's going to be out for the year, that's yeah, when you sit down with Baker Mayfield and have a grown-up conversation about the benefit of working together for one year, okay? We know you don't want to be here. You know we want to move on, but we need each other for this year. You want to set yourself up for a big contract in 2023? You come in and kick ass this year. And you know what they should do? And somebody suggested this to me recently, and I dismissed it as well. I'm very good at dismissing, and then I think about it. It's like, well, you know, that's a pretty good idea. Promise him you won't tag him next year. Because I could see the Browns trying to play the angle of, hey, he had a great year. We're going to put the franchise tag on him and control his rights and trade him and play that game again. No, no. Tell him. Tell, put it in writing. We will not apply the franchise tag or the transition tag to you in 2023. That's your inducement. That's your carrot. Go out there and kick ass this year, and then you become 
one of the hot commodities for 2023, hitting the market unfettered, unrestricted, unencumbered, off you go. That and, and if Mayfield is maturing, or at least trying to, I think he'd go along with that. Well, he might not have any other options, like you said. It might be the only option. But Hey, where's his better place to win? Is it Seattle or Cleveland? Yeah, where's no, his better place it's to Cleveland. win? Cleveland, sure, Seattle or Seattle or Cleveland or Carolina? Which of the three? It's yeah, Cleveland by far. If Watson's out for the year, right? But you know, it, it's hard, right? I mean, you and I, we're we're we can be volatile people, and you know, snap at a get mad in a hurry. We got that type of temper in us. Baker Mayfield no, does. Me? Yeah, you do too. Sorry, you do. This just in. Okay? You you only have it. You only have it when there's a technical issue. Exactly right. Right, and some other issues that you just you don't get to see because I'm at home when I flip out and do this. But either way, like who took my weed? <laughs> yeah, right. That'll be a flip out session. <laughs> the the what's what's like they have the more that you go by here and the more you just digest it. They've done Baker Mayfield dirty in Cleveland. Like this, it's as dirty. They have. It's as bad as really you could treat a player, really. I, I don't know what else to say. They have totally screwed him over here. And then now they're, they're double-screwing him over. They really are. I mean, it's a double wham-bam job. Sorry. I mean, that's what it is. Hey, we're going to screw you over and totally not give you an idea about Deshaun Watson and do all that. And then we're going to get him and go, oh, wait, we might not be able to get Deshaun Watson and we don't know what the hell we're doing. So we're going to screw you over one more time so you can't go anywhere else. I mean, and, I'm telling see, you, it ain't, it ain't a good look for Cleveland. But, but see, and, and this is important, Chris, because at a time in the NFL where there is an awakening by some franchises to the importance of letting guys be where they want to be, exactly. facilitating their efforts to get a new start, this idea that you are treating a player like a piece of property that you own, like a car or a hammer – and and I this is mine. This I don't care. I own you. I don't care that you don't want to be here. I own you. And I'm going to act in the best interests of the team. We're acting in the best interests of the team. That's our that's our nice little shiny label for saying we're going to screw you if we want to because we can and we will. And that doesn't hold up like it used to. It doesn't. As we are recognizing that other players are being given the opportunity to be the human beings that they are. If we're going to care about the mental health of players, let's take it all the way back to where we started with Ryan Tannehill. We got to quit treating players like commodities. Fans and teams and media as the conduit. And this idea that the Browns can do whatever the hell they want to Baker Mayfield because they can, that treats him like a commodity, not a human being. That's something we got to break away from in sport. And the NFL is starting to break away from it by virtue of the fact Devontae Adams got traded. Tyreek Hill got traded. A.J. Brown got traded. Russell Wilson got traded. Right? We didn't hear that, well, he's under contract. And, you know, that, that attitude that he's a piece of property, that he's a, a cog in a machine. That's what the Browns are doing to Baker Mayfield. I think that's what's eliciting this reaction from you because it doesn't feel justifiable anymore. No, it doesn't. When you see other teams treating their human beings who happen to also be football players differently? Yeah, I, I don't. I, it just—it's one of those. As the more times got, you know, I think you, we get a, you know excited about whoa the deal, the Deshaun Watson, all that. Where's Baker Mayfield and a quarterback going to go and all that? And I feel like just as time has kind of settled down here and you start to really like go, wait, what's what's gotten here? It, they've done him dirty. It was the number one pick of the draft. 
I mean, they, there's no doubt. And I think, yes, the more we talk about it and you start to discuss it, and then you hear what has happened to me is I've been on the radio a few times and things, and I hear what's coming out of my mouth, and I go, that's crazy. I can't even believe that this is what we're actually talking about here. And that's well, what's well, changed me over the last, been the last week. Right. five years. Well, it just, the last week has changed me because I've had to talk about it a few times, and I've gone, it's actually insane the more I say it out loud about what they've done here. If and when they ever write the history books of the 2022 NFL offseason, there will be a chapter on how well Deshaun Watson's team took the decision by the grand jury on that Friday in March to not indict him and parlayed that into a land rush for Deshaun Watson that had four teams chasing him in what felt like a competition and the Browns at the end of the day delivering the coup de grace. Five years, $230 million, fully guaranteed, and we get removed from it by a month or so, and we're like, that was freaking nuts. It's nuts. And yeah. whatever PR machinery, and there's at least one person in the media who helped facilitate the idea that, oh, everything's fine now. This is fine. Go get Deshaun Watson. It set the stage for what the Browns have now found themselves in the middle of, and you know what? They get what they deserve as they wonder what the hell's going to happen. They get what they deserve. They get the criticism they deserve, the blowback from the fans they deserve. They get all of it because here we are looking back on it saying, man, that was nuts. That really was nuts, and they do have a problem now. We have a problem because – and sorry, Peter King, you no longer hold the record for being with me on the day that we have the longest opening segment ever. We've gone a full hour. We've done it. Good news. We made it a full hour. Bad news. We have six segments to do. In the next hour, let's take a break. We'll be back with more PFT Live right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The Chief Operating Officer, Executive Vice President, Director of Player Personnel, he is Stephen Jones. Stephen, welcome back. How are you? Hey, great being on, Mike. Look forward to our visit. Well, you know what? I thought of something just before we started. I praise you and your father, Jerry, all the time because as owners go, you got your sleeves rolled up and you're directly involved and you don't act like you aren't. I feel like a lot of the other owners, two minutes later, don't have to do that with the Cowboys because the owners are not bashful about saying we are in charge and that's the way we like it. Mike? Yes? Hey, yes. Were you asking me a question? I was listening. Well, I was I was just setting it up and letting you go. I was I was hoping that when I finished, you would you would agree with me. That was edited. That was edited to make me look even worse than I made myself look. Hey, EJ. Okay. EJ, job, select EJ. a finger for the two minute later thing. It wasn't two minutes. It only felt like two minutes. But, yeah, it was funny. I mean, I went through this whole thing about how – and I, it just kind of occurred to me as I sat down. I always say, you know, all these owners are trying to stir the pot and trying to run the team and act like they aren't. 
Cowboys just go ahead and the owners say, we're running the team and we're not making any bones about it. And I was praising him and he was so enraptured by my praise that he didn't realize I wanted him to talk. Yeah. So <laughs> it was 15 seconds, not two minutes, Pete says. So, hey, EJ, get your facts straight. Get your facts straight. It only felt like an eternity for more of the discussion with Stephen Jones. And we had him for a good 20 minutes. You know, any time that... We take it to the point where I start getting text messages. Uh, you need to wrap up. Then I know that it, that I kind of got you know lost in the conversation, and it was a fun conversation. But uh, Stephen Jones' conversation available at PFT or YouTube.com slash NBC Sports. Another thing that was discussed with Stephen Jones was the notion that uh, the the fans are. Oh wait a minute. Here we go. No, it wasn't. I thought it was another cut from Stephen Jones. This is what happens when you're trying to when you haven't really read the outline as closely as you should. Um, Stephen Jones and I talked about the decision to draft Tyler Smith in round one, but it was Jerry who was not on the show yesterday who decided to show it in a different way on draft night. Take a look at this little clip of Jerry Jones talking about the Cowboys draft board and making the mistake of showing the draft board on draft night. Here it is. Uh, let, let me put it like this. We have both of them. This was printed three days ago below him. Both of those players are below him. Can you see that? <laughs> Don't show him that. I'm not going to show him that. <laughs> <laughs> are you serious? I, there's, I'm dead serious. Okay. I'm dead serious. No, we really did have them rated below him. No, we did, really did. Both of them. <laughs> put that sheet down take that away for and and it's been deciphered how do we how do we it's know been deciphered. how do we know this for sure like I mean, they, they just know what that says there i, I mean how i don't understand yeah. I don't know. That takes higher level skills than I have. I don't know if they somehow unscrambled that, but I think it's a combination of the context, the length of the name, yeah. the length of the school. Like you can see Cincinnati, see where Sauce Gardner is, and you see there's an extra long, extra long name yeah. of school. Right. And then you've got you've got two names, Notre Dame, that's Kyle Hamilton. So I think it's educated guesswork. To, to rebuild that draft board based upon the image that was captured. But, yeah, don't don't show your draft board uh, at a press conference. It is fair game. Some would say, oh, how, how dare somebody do that? No, it's fair yeah, game. Right. If you're going to hold it up for a camera, if somebody can figure it out, so be it. So they had Tyler Smith at number 16, and they drafted him, I think, with pick 24. So, you know, they got him. They got him. Uh, yeah. They got him higher than uh, than they had him. And. They were asked about Kenyon Green and Zion Johnson, and that right. was the point. Both of those guys were lower than Tyler Smith on their board. Now, their board could be wrong. Yeah, right. Their board could be flat wrong. But um, now, they, they did have your guy, your guy, Lewis Sign, higher than yeah, Tyler Smith, that? but they that didn't take him. That was a shocker him. there. They yeah. had him at yeah. 13. Right. He went 32. Two, they had him at thirteen. Hey, he's he's a hell of a player. He really is. I mean, he's. Uh, I think your Vikings got a steal there at thirty-two for sure. And the Cowboys were a team that, you know, got some safety needs. But I think they probably looked at it and went, "Man, offensive line, we got to go there." And listen, Tyler Smith. I know there's been a lot of talk about this. Is he is you know is 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 perfect? Maybe a Zion Johnson or Kenyon Green. You know, no, they're they are their film. If you watch it with me, Mike, you'd go, oh yeah, it's a little bit better. 
but they're taking what the Cowboys did in the draft, in my opinion, is they took some shots. Like Smith has incredible talent, Mike. Incredible. I mean, he might be the most physical lineman in the draft. He's a really good mover. I mean, he's athletic, but he's all over the place, Mike. Sometimes in pass protection, it looks like he's playing defense in a basketball game. And then, you know, next time he's pulling down the line of scrimmage and he's doing the karaoke as he's going down there. And it's just – so that's where, you know, I think a lot of evaluators are, man, we love this kid. He's got a lot of the tools you want to be a big-time player, but there's going to be a little work here and refinement here. And I think that's probably why people were a little surprised uh, with that pick. And even their second-round pick, Sam Williams from uh, Ole Miss, incredible – like physical freak off the ball, but not very good at anything else. So they like kind of took risky home run shots, and we'll see if they work out for the Jones family. Assuming that the high-level CSI Dallas assessment of the image of the draft board was accurate, <laughs> what do you think of the Cowboys having Kayvon Thibodeau at number one? Well, you know me, that, that makes me think that they, you know, too many fingers of tequila while they were evaluating. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, I don't see that, you know, but this is why this draft was amazing. Because I know people were – you see Evan Neal. He's their number two guy on the board. Most teams had Ika McQuanu as their number guy, number one lineman on the board. And so that's where I think it was crazy draft is, you know, you got team like you see here, the Dallas Cowboys, the Giants, where they obviously thought Thibodeau was high up on their board. But I know other teams, like you've heard me say, that had him fourth, fifth, sixth best pass rusher. Uh, and that's what I think was a little bit of a different year. There wasn't as much of a consensus – on some of these top guys as maybe years past. They got to be pissed that the Giants got both guys at the top Seriously, of their draft right? board. Right? Number one and number two now on the New York Giants, one oh. of our top rivals. Gee, that's great. Yeah, no, that is great. It is great. I love it. Gee, man, let's go. <laughs> well, Shad Khan's Jaguars could have had Kayvon Thibodeau. They took Trevon Walker instead. And how about this? This popped up yesterday at a time when there is increasing momentum pointing toward Urban Meyer returning to Fox, and Fox being completely unbothered by any of the things well-documented and thoroughly discussed here and elsewhere that occurred during Urban Meyer's failed season as head coach of the Jaguars. Fox, and it's up to they they can hire whoever they want to hire. One of these days, they may be hiring one of us, although I highly doubt it. Um, (laughs) At a time when that conversation is happening, Urban Meyer is the subject of comments made by Shad Khan to Jarrett Bell of USA Today. And I mean, wow, how can you work with someone like that was the headline from Shad Khan regarding the guy that he hired to be his head coach. When you lose the respect, the trust, and the issue of truthfulness, how can you work with someone like that? It's not possible. We had Doug Marone here four years. We had Gus Bradley here four years. I have nothing but the utmost respect and friendship with them. That's why they got the time, because it wasn't a matter about respect or truth. It's a matter of wins and losses over four years. This is much bigger than that. Boom. And this comes at a time, Chris, not only when Urban Meyer is looking for his next gig, the Jaguars have refused to pay him. Right. This is kind of a sneaky, quiet, under the radar. They have fired Urban Meyer for cause, and it requires him to resort to, wait for it, the secret rigged kangaroo court to try to get his money. Good luck with that, Urban. When the guy making the decision ultimately about whether or not you get paid gets paid by Shad Khan, you ain't getting paid, Urban. Because there's plenty there. 
it would be very easy. And this is the this is the problem with allowing the commissioner to resolve these disputes. There's enough there to come to either conclusion with cause, without cause. You could work your way through this set of facts. You could write two different letters that get to two different conclusions based on these same facts. You could say, well, look at what happened on the Thursday night. He didn't go back with the team. Look at the the videos that embarrassed the team. Look at the allegations of kicking the kicker. You could go on and on and say there was cause. Or you could say, or you could say, you know what? When you finally fired him, there really wasn't some incident that occurred that amounts to cause and anything that happened before that you forgave him by keeping him if you wanted to fire him for cause you should have fired him when he didn't come back with the team you should have fired him when he kicked the kicker in august not when it came to light four months later so you could you could argue it either way and that's why it's important to have an unbiased independent person resolving these things because someone with a bias is more likely to pick the path that that caters to his bias and the bias is the Jaguars are one of the teams that pay my salary, that hire me, that retain me. Of course there's a bias there. So I'm not saying that Urban Meyer should win. Yeah, right. I'm just saying he should have yeah. a fair shake I hear you. wherever this fight plays out. Yeah, I mean, I hear that. I'm all for a fair shake, too. I mean, it certainly seems like there's, you know, something there for cause. It definitely does. You're right. The fact that they kept him, I guess that hurts them a little bit, you know. I, I, I never really thought of that. You know? But also – I, I, you know, something tells me there's probably a, another laundry list of things Urban Meyer did that we don't know about. Now, that that's the other aspect of this as well. When we, you and I heard, uh, you know, a, a million stories, which all kind of got verified as true as time went on. I mean, we've heard it all down there starting the start of training camp. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes. But that's some strong comments from an owner, and I think that almost speaks in itself to tell you like. How bad, how dysfunctional, how mean, how rude, how untruthful Urban Meyer was. And it's followed up with a, you know, very shaky ending at Ohio State where it was really kind of eh, a little eh, not that truthful and a lot of BS then too. So that's where it's like a little bit of a double whammy of not a good look for Urban Meyer, you know, now taking a new job with the, with a the new company. And you throw on that. That notion of bullying those around him, not just That's players. That's what I mean, right. And, the hey, coaches, old school everybody. coaching, right? And I've, I've got kicked in the ass back in 1975. But you know what, folks? It ain't 1975 anymore. Coaches don't go around well, kicking 10-year-olds in the ass because they're lollygagging at practice. So the, that, that is, has, has evolved out of the sport but not for Urban Meyer. And just the bad-mouthing and the berating of his staff. Yes. Look, all year long last year, there were members of the staff who were talking to reporters about their right. concerns and gripes about the way Urban Meyer treated them. So something's wrong here. It's like what I say about Daniel Snyder and the Washington Commanders all the time. If you have allegation after allegation after allegation after allegation, regardless of what the truth is as to any of them, the fact that you have so many people who have been working for you who are motivated to make these claims, that becomes the problem. Uh, Yes. And with Urban Meyer, I don't know what's true and what's not true, but the fact that they hated him so much that it was a constant narrative of the things that he was saying and doing, allegedly— The fact that people felt compelled to take time out of their day to complain to reporters about Urban Meyer— that in and of itself is a toxic, dysfunctional situation, regardless of who's right or wrong on the individual allegations. No doubt. When you have people who are running to the press 
to put out their version of whatever it is that happened, that's not good. Running you either press, hired the wrong people yeah. or you're not treating them the right way. Right, running to the press, telling all other coaches in the league what's going on, how they're being treated, players talking to other players in the league going, you can't believe this. Pete or, 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 or Courtney who in the back room, go, go, or, or James, whoever, whoever the hell is there today. I want the clip of what we just showed with Urban Meyer. It says it all. They win a game. He looks around. Nobody wants to celebrate with him. Nobody. He can't get a coach. He's looking around, pumping his fist. He's going, wait, does anybody want to celebrate our first win in seven years here? And they're like, nope, not with you. Just let it ride. It's coming up. And that, to me, kind of says it all. It, it says it all. I think it might be right after this one where he kind of pumps his fist. But here it is. Hey, yeah, we won. Wait, somebody, does anybody care about me? Oh, anybody? hey, bottom anybody? of the roster, 20 hey. Thomas. Hey, thanks, sir. Oh, backup quarterback whose job depends on me like him. Great. Yes, yes, I'm very happy. <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that's snarky, but not inaccurate. I remember in the preseason after they played the Saints on a Monday night, we were having some fun with these images of Urban Meyer who looked tormented. Right. And it's August. They haven't even played a game yet. And and he had that demeanor of the guy who shows up for work thinking, what the hell did I do? This thing was doomed from the get-go. All right, let's take a break. When we return, the Packers drafted a prospect with some off-field concerns in round one, but that wasn't a bad thing for one former NFL player. We'll tell you more about that when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 